All right, so our story this week is a book called Ish. You heard that right, Ish. The author is Peter H. Reynolds, and it's a book that I am coming quickly to love. So here we go. The pictures will be up on the screen because they're kind of hard to see from right here. Okay, can you guys see the screen? All right. Ramon loved to draw. Anytime, anything, anywhere. One day, Ramon was drawing a vase of flowers. His brother Leon leaned over his shoulder. Leon burst out laughing. What is that? he asked. Ramon could not even answer. He just crumpled up the drawing and threw it across the room. Leon's laughter haunted Ramon. He kept trying to make his drawings look right, but they never did. After many months and many crumpled sheets of paper, Ramon put his pencil down. I'm done. Marisol, his sister, was watching him. What do you want, he snapped. I was watching you draw, she said. Ramon sneered. I'm not drawing, go away. Marisol ran away, but not before picking up a crumpled sheet of paper. Hey, come back here with that. Ramon raced after Marisol, up the hall and into her room. He was about to yell, but fell silent when he saw his sister's walls. He stared at the crumpled gallery. This is one of my favorites, Marisol said, pointing. That was supposed to be a vase of flowers, Ramon said, but it doesn't look like one. Well, it looks vase ish, she exclaimed. Vase-ish? Ramon looked closer. Then he studied all the drawings on Marisol's walls and began to see them in a whole new way. They do look ish, he said. Ramon felt light and energized, thinking ishly allowed his ideas to flow freely. He began to draw what he felt, loose lines quickly springing out without worry. Ramon once again drew and drew the world around him. Making an ish drawing felt wonderful. He filled his journals, tree-ish, house-ish, boat-ish, afternoon-ish, fish-ish, sun-ish. Ramon realized he could draw ish feelings too. Peace-ish, silly-ish, excited-ish. His ish art inspired ish writing. He wasn't sure if he was writing poems, but he knew they were poem-ish. Ponder, pond, ponder, dream yonder, pond, pond, yond, yond, gleam, wander, by Ramon. One spring morning, Ramon had a wonderful feeling. It was a feeling that even ish words and ish drawings could not capture. He decided not to capture it. Instead, he simply savored it. And Ramon lived ishfully ever after. The end ish. Okay, kids. I've got some questions for you. Before you run back, you can go if you want. But I do have some questions for you if any of you want to have a little chance to tell us something. The first question is, what is something that you love to do? Ramon loved to draw. What do you love? You want to raise a hand and I'll bring this down to you? What do you love to do? 
love to sing and dance. Sing and dance. Mm-hmm. I like to draw, too. You also like to draw. Someone else, yes? I love to do gymnastics. Gymnastics, yes. I like to draw. Mm-hmm. Dance. Yep. What do you love to do? Draw. Draw? Play with Legos. Play with Legos. I've got a couple boys who like to play with Legos, so I have another question for you. What is something you would like to do, but you're kind of afraid to try? Something you'd like to do, but you're kind of afraid to try. Anybody? Be an artist. Be an artist. Someone else, something you'd like to do, but you're kind of afraid to try. Start kindergarten. <laughs> Absolutely. Doing a high dive. A high dive. Oh. Climb a big tree. Climb a big tree. Yeah. Last one right here. To dance. To dance. I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. All right, kids, thanks for coming up and being part of story time. You can head back with your parents now. All right, you guys can go. So as these guys head back to their seats, there are many things that we love to do, and there are many things that we'd like to try, but we're afraid to do. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning as we unpack what it looks like to live ishfully. Here we have Ramon. You might remember from the story that he was on the rock, and there was a feeling that he couldn't quite capture and he decided not to try to capture it, but to just enjoy it. So what is this elusive state where we just can enjoy being without having to figure out what it is that we're feeling? It's living ishfully. So we're going to kind of talk about living ishfully today. And in my own experience, living ishfully, there's a lot of ways you could look at this, but living ishfully is an experience of being comfortable in my own skin. It's seeing how I was made, what my personality is, what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at, what I love about others, what I just struggle with about others, the things that I live with every day. And instead of trying so hard to get them right, living in a place where I accept who I am, my strengths and my weaknesses, and I live from that place. And I will tell you, I don't live there all the time. I catch glimpses of the joy of just being who God made me to be, but for me, that's living ishfully. Somebody else uh, said to them, living ishfully is living gracefully because it's a life covered with grace, covered with the acceptance of where we are and where we're not. And yet when we come to live this way, we run into some roadblocks, before we dive into the roadblocks, I want to talk about what Ishfully is not. I think this is kind of important. As we talk about living Ishfully, Ishfully is not being blurry about matters of truth or morality. It's not the kid who says, I didn't take a cookie-ish. It's not truth-ish. It's not blurring the lines on morality. It's also not a path to worldly success. 
one of the things we're going to talk about this morning is that in order to live ishfully, we have to take risks. And some people will say that in order to succeed in the world, you have to take risks. This is not a conversation about taking a risk of failure in order to do better later. This is a conversation about taking the risk of showing who we truly are in order to live in the way that God created us to live. So it's not a blurring of truth, and it's not a path towards success, and it's also not doing our work half-heartedly. It's not kind of this, eh, I got it done-ish. I think about the musicians behind me today and how they worked hard for this. And they don't do their music ishfully in terms of, yeah, that note kind of works or that's close enough. No, when we set our hearts to something, we do our work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. But I do see some of them doing this ishfully in terms of enjoying what they're doing. If you watch their faces and their body language, they love making music and they enjoy being a part of what's going on. That's the ishfully that we're talking about today. In my experience, I hit a place where I was stuck. And that's where the intersection of my life came with art. I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but this book really caught my imagination because it helped to describe something that I had found true in my life. And that is that with creativity, and when we try something that is new to us, we learn there's a parallel track to other parts of life. So for me, I found that I was stuck in busyness. I was exhausted all the time. Now, some of that came naturally. At that point, my kids were eight, six, and three, and I need to say no more. I was exhausted all the time. But some of that came because there was a, something that was driving me inside that did not allow me to rest. And even as I began to recognize that I needed margin in my life, I needed some more space, I began to try to clear my calendar, and I would fill it right back up again. I remember one summer in particular that I looked at all my responsibilities. I said no to several things. I thought I had myself really well set. And come fall, I still had something I had to be at every day of the week. And I said to God, I'm stuck. There's something driving a busyness inside of me, and I don't know how to change it. And I don't know if you've ever been at that place, but there have been places in my life when I couldn't think it through anymore. I couldn't figure it out. I just had to sit with it and offer it to the Lord and say, would you please show me what is under the surface that I can't see that is driving me to continue to be so busy that I'm too tired to be the mom and the wife and the daughter and the sister and the coworker that I want to be. So when we find ourselves stuck, what do we do? Because these stuck places inhibit us from living ishfully. Ephesians talks about living ishfully. I don't think I've ever seen it translated that way, but it does talk about living ishfully. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You and I are God's masterpiece, and I love that word. Think about a masterpiece. We're on an art theme this morning. Think about a canvas that an artist begins, and this artist thinks about what he envisions, what he wants, what image he wants to put on there, and then he adds layer after layer of color, and then he steps back and he looks and he examines. Sometimes he even steps away for a number of days and comes back, and he works and he works and he works until it reflects what he wants it to be. And it's his masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece in the same way. 
When God made you, he did not put you on the assembly line and go, feet, check, hands, check, hair, check, belly button, check. All right, good to go. You are God's masterpiece. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He created you in his image, and he made you in such a way that he's delighted with you. He's your father, and he loves how he made you, and he made each of us unique. Genesis says that God created us, male and female, he created us in his image. But the thing is, God is so huge that no one of us can reflect the entirety of God's image. So he gave each of us a unique aspect of his nature and character and his image. Some of us got his humor. Some of us got his creativity. Some of us got his sense of order. And some of us got his sense of mercy. Some of us, we got all these different aspects of who God is. And you and I are little reflections of a piece of who he is. It's that uniqueness that makes us who we are. And it's that uniqueness that we have to offer the world around us. In our house, we call it using our strength to bless others. What is the strength that God has given you, and how is he calling you to use it to bless others? For me, when I was younger, living Ishfali had to do with running. I loved to run. Now, you have to know something about me. I'm a very competitive person. And one of the roadblocks to living Ishbali in my life is my, comp my competitiveness because I don't try things that I'm not sure I'll be the best at. I'm still working on getting over that one. But when I was younger, I didn't try volleyball and I didn't try basketball and I didn't try drama and I didn't try singing because I wasn't sure how I would do and how I would be accepted. But you have to run in P.E., and I stumbled onto the fact that I was kind of fast. And when you're kind of fast, then you start running on a team. And when you run on a team, you get into competitions. And I was having some success in competitions. And at one point in that whole journey, my dad asked me, Jennifer, what do you love most about running? And you know, even though I'm a competitive person, the thing I loved most when I was truly living from who I am, it wasn't winning. It wasn't personal bests or fastest times. What I said was, I love the feel of the wind of my hair in the backstretch. I love the feel of the wind in my hair on the backstretch. That is being comfortable in our own skin. That is living ishfully. It's knowing what we love and doing it because we love it. And when we do, it brings God glory and pleasure because we're living into who he created us to be. But over the years for me, when you get into a sport or an activity where there's competitions and there's accolades, things kind of turn and things kind of twist. And over the years for me, running became much more about the times and the personal bests and the competition. And it began to be coupled with anxiety for me because what if I couldn't beat her or what if my relay team dropped the baton or what if, what if, what if? And there were these anxieties that grew and I still loved to run but it became something different for me than the wind in my hair. And by the time I was in college and running, I had injured my body so badly that in order to go to practice, I had to start in the trainer's room to get ultrasound on my knees and get them warmed up so that they could move. And after practice, I had to go back to the trainer and stand in an ice bath up to my thighs so that my ankles and my knees wouldn't hurt the rest of the week. And I took bags of ice home with me from the trainers and sat with my roommate, who was also an athlete, and we iced together and debriefed our day. And when I finished running in college, I didn't care if I ever ran again. It felt like a good idea to try to stay, stay in shape. 
So every now and then, every three or five years or so, I'd strap on some running shoes and try to jog. Now, I have to say, I never liked jogging. I was a sprinter. You run fast until you fall over. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> but I would put on some running shoes, and I would try to jog, and I'd get out on the open road, and the tapes would start playing. Run faster, push harder, try harder, push past the pain. And I kid you not, I would hurt so bad the next day that I wouldn't run for another five years. It took me 15 years to get to the place where I could put on some running shoes and go out and run because I love to run. Because it's part of how I was made. It's part of who I am. Now, I'm 40 years old and I don't feel the wind in my hair anymore. But I still love to run. What are those hurdles that you and I run into as we look at the parallel to life, that we start something that we love, and yet we hit these places where anxiety or fear or other hurdles hit, and how do we get past those? How do those hinder us from living ishfully, and how do we get past them to live into that place that God created us to be? Here are some of the fears I've experienced. I'm sure it's not a comprehensive list, but they're the ones that I've experienced. I have found that when I am interacting with the people in my life, if I offer who I truly am, my true feelings, my true thoughts, my true personality with all of its exuberance or its fears, just who I am, if that's what I offer the friendship or the job or the marriage or the parenting that I'm involved in, and somebody doesn't like it, or there's a negative response, or there's a rejection, that hurts bad because they're rejecting who I really am. So it's much, much easier to study the crowd, to study the subtleties and the not-so-subtleties, and to figure out what's wanted of me, to figure out what's expected of me, and to offer what's expected of me. Here you go. And then if there's a negative response or a rejection, I go, oh, no problem. That wasn't the one that you wanted. Okay, let's try this one. Oh, okay. And the pain doesn't go as deep. But the walls of self-protection begin to block out the ability to truly live from the place of where God created me to be. Because I'm too afraid that if I truly show you who I really am, it won't be enough or you won't like me. Some of the fears of rejection come from cultural norms. There are ways, I mean, these are huge in the grade school, middle school, high school years, but they don't end then. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that at 40 or 50 or 60, we're not thinking about what other people think of us. What's the right clothes? What's the right occupation? What's the right class to take? What's the right sport to be in? Which school do I go to? And is it cool to be in drama or is it cool to be in choir or is it cool to be in sports? And which friends do I want to impress? And we spend all this time trying to figure out what other people want so that we can be accepted. We're trying to fit in. Several years ago, I was over by State Street, and I drove past somebody at the corner with a cardboard sign. And I just kind of had a nudge in my spirit to help. And so I went in, and I was just buying some food that I could drop back off at the corner. And I was looking in the peanut butter aisle to try to decide what kind of peanut butter to buy. And I was in anxiety over buying the right kind of peanut butter. And I thought, what kind of peanut butter would this person like best? And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, there is no way on the planet that I could know what kind of peanut butter the man on the corner would like best. Crunchy, creamy, natural, no stir, I don't know. <laughs> and the same is true of our efforts to please and fit in with the people around us. 
We try so hard, but it takes so much energy and time and effort and heart to try to figure out if the people that we're interacting with want crunchy or creamy or no stir. Sometimes the fear of rejection comes from the expectations of others. We know what they want. It's been clearly stated. It's kind of that thing where somebody in our life has projected onto us what they want, and we know their expectations. And our fear is not that we won't be able to figure out what they want, but our fear is that we will be a disappointment to them. And so we're not living true to who we are because we're trying really hard to not be a disappointment to the people around us. Because if I disappoint the people around me, then I'm going to be rejected by the people around me. And that hurts too bad. And so we work real hard to meet their expectations. Another fear is that we simply won't be acceptable. There's a difference between approval and acceptance. Approval is what other people offer to me. But being unacceptable, that's kind of an internal thing where I don't accept myself. Sometimes I am my worst critic. I am the problem. I am the hardest on me. My fear and my inability to live into who God created me to be is because I have myself on such a short leash jerking me around and trying to be right and do the right thing all the time. I found help for that at the Life Path Ministries at Salem Alliance. When I began to realize that I was paralyzed by anxiety because of my perfectionism, because of my fear of not doing the right thing at the right time, and I found at Life Path Ministries a place and people where I could be real, I could begin to say what I truly felt, and begin to see God move me past the places where I was stuck. Our fear of rejection, our fear of failure, the whole competitive way that our structure, society structure is set up, all of those play into why it's difficult for us to live ishfully. And yet living ishfully is really the thing we long for, isn't it? That sense of living freely and lightly without worries, of making our mark in the world without being afraid of what people think, of standing in front of the mirror and instead of thinking, do I have on the right clothes? Do I have on the right shoes? What are my friends going to think? What are my coworkers going to think? Am I formal enough? Am I not formal? We text each other and say, what are you wearing tonight? I don't know if you guys do that. I'm sorry if that doesn't relate, but we girls do that. Is this semi-casual, semi-formal, business casual? I don't want to show up in the wrong thing because of what people would think. What if instead I stood in front of the mirror and I said, what do I want to wear? What do I, do I like how I look? Not does he, does she, do they? What if we stood in front of our career path and we went, what do I want to do? What do I love to do? Some of you might want to run your own business. Some of you might want to quit your own business and go work for somebody else. Some of you are trying to decide what classes to take. Are you going to take the classes you want or the classes your friends are taking? Some of you study hard, but when you're in class, you don't ever give the answers because you don't want to look like you've been studying hard because that's what nerds do. What if we live from who we are and where we are instead of expending all the energy of trying to be what other people wanted us to be? But the reality is, it is easier to quit trying to do what we love than to risk the hurt of our real selves not being accepted. It is easier to quit trying to do what we really love than to push through the places where we're stuck. 
But see, when we stay there, we live a muted existence of being, I picture it all gray. We're just people in the gray trying to be the same, and nobody is shining with who God made them to be. We're unhappy, we're angry, and like Ramon, we're snapping at people and we're sneering at people. We don't like the way life is, but we're too scared to see life any different because if we really tried for what we wanted and it didn't work, it would hurt too bad. How do we get from that place of being stuck to the place of living freely? And for me, the epiphany, the reality, came a few years back when I began to realize that I did not understand how much my father loves me. Yeah, I'd been taught, I grew up in the church, I'd been taught that God loves me unconditionally, but somehow I had it ingrained in me that God's love had to do with what I did. That if I disappointed his expectations of me, that God would reject me. I knew in my head that God wouldn't reject me, but in my heart, I was spinning my wheels to try to prove that I was valuable enough to meet God's expectations and to fit in with the Christian requirements and to be who I thought everybody else needed me to be. And and I wouldn't have said it and I wouldn't have believed it of myself, but when it got down to the rock-solid bedrock, I didn't know that I was loved. God and I had a journey that's a story for another day. But as I began to understand that like a father looks at his infant son or daughter or his toddler son or daughter, have you ever seen a father look at his toddler son or daughter? I mean, if she turns a pirouette, he posts it on Facebook. If his son wrestles and knocks down the dog, he's cheering him on. Fathers love and delight in their kids, and that is how God loves and delights in you, with eyes that are simply enjoying his masterpiece and delighting when you love the things that he made you to love. See, I believe that God put a desire in our hearts because it's the thing the world needs. And when we do what we love and we use our strength and the beauty that God put in us to bless others, then we are forwarding his kingdom and we are giving a gift to the world that needs to be given. We give a gift to the world that needs to be given. But if we are not secure in his love, then we have to get our value from everybody else and we're constantly judging, am I okay, am I not okay? And that is what fuels our fears. When we know that God loves us, We can step into this place of offering everything he made me to be. And I am safe and secure in the fact that he loves me and nothing I do can change that. And your response might impact me, but your response does not dictate who I am or how valuable I am anymore. And so when I know that I am loved by God, it does not matter if I am preaching a sermon or if this is a sermon-ish. Because I am a beloved daughter of God. I want you to read with me from Ephesians 1.4. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Think about the dad whose kids have no fault in his eyes. And he decided that before he made the world. And let me let you in on a little secret. That was before you were born. That was before you knew right or wrong. That was before you made right or wrong choices. That was before you chose your spouse. That was before you had kids. That was before you were a kid. That was before you disobeyed. That was before you got addicted. That was before you failed. He loved you. 
There's nothing you can do to change his love. And I believe that the core truth to living in this place of living freely and lightly, living ishfully, fully engaged in who God made us to be, is to fully grasp and enter into how God loves us. And yet, how do we move that truth from our head to our heart? Because you and I both know that we can sit through a nice sermon and get more information, but not have it transform our lives. I want us to look at Romans 12, too. Don't copy the behavior of the world, as in don't try to fit in with what everybody else is doing. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I think back to the book that we read with the kids, and that when his sister triggered him to the idea of ish, he began to think differently, and he began to see things differently. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. People, God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. His will is a John 10.10 will. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Another translation says rich and satisfying life. This is what God desires for you. Some of us hold this view of God that he wants sacrifice, and sacrifice means if it's something we don't like, that's what God wants of us. There are times when God asks sacrifice, and the sacrifice is hard, but I believe that foundationally God created us with a desire to do the thing that we love, and when we do the thing that we love, we thrive, and that's the place he desires for us. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. And I think the key to how to get there is higher up in that verse, it says, let God transform us. You see, God's is the transforming. That's his job. That's not my job. I can't transform myself. That's where I'm stuck. My role is to let God. How do I do that? How do I let God begin the work of transformation in my life and take the truth of his love from my head to my heart? One way is to begin to let down the walls of self-defense from our fears See, when I'm holding people at arm's length and I'm only giving them a mask because I only want them to see what I have crafted so that they can't reject the real me, I am not letting God begin the work of transformation. I've got my walls up. And so the first step in me letting God transform me is to admit what I truly want. First, to myself. And then to find a group of safe people where I can be honest and say, this is what I fear. This is what I love. This is what excites me. This is what makes me angry. A group of people who will listen without judging, who won't try to project their expectations on us, but will be our soul friends. When we begin to talk about what's real, God can begin to move in and meet us where those things are real. Another way is through prayer. We ask God to make the change in us that we can't make ourselves. I've had a prayer that I've been praying for several years now, and it is this. God, increase my capacity to receive your love. Increase my capacity to receive your love. See, I know God's love is endless. It's not about his love. It's not like, God, give me more love. But it's about me and the places where I'm stuck and the things that block, and I need God to clear away the brush so that I can receive his love. There are things that we can do to position ourselves to let God work in our lives. A pastor who was here years ago named Morris Dirks would say it this way, I can't, 
God can, I'll let him. I sit in the place of acceptance that I can't change my anxiety or my fears, but God can, and I will be in a place where I will let him. There's one other way, probably way more than one, but one I'm going to talk about today, that can help us on the journey of getting the truth from our head to our heart. And that circles us back around to creativity, back around to Ramon and his drawings. Because I started taking an art class several months back. It was outside of my comfort zone, and it's a story for another day. But I have loved taking the risk of doing something outside my comfort zone and seeing it bear fruit, not perfect fruit, but fruit, and then seeing the parallels with my own life. And in that journey, I was doing some reading, and uh, somebody was teaching me about the science of left brain and right brain. I'm not going to teach you the science of left brain and right brain, because I don't really get it. But here's what I understand. The left brain is the place where we um, process things logically, with words, in the figure it out, routine. It's It's the logic side. We can express it. We can figure it out. The right side is the more holistic, big picture. There aren't always words for it. It's where, it's where creativity comes from. And yet sometimes the knowing on the right side is deeper and more clear than the knowing on the left side. We just don't have words to express it. And I was at a conference last October where the speaker was talking about this journey from her head to her heart, and I had this aha moment when she expressed that sometimes one of the vehicles to help us get truth from our head to our heart is when we help get the truth from the left side of our brain to the right side of our brain. When we take what we've been taught and we engage it in a creative way. So we take the truth, God loves us, And we apply creativity over it. And for some of us, you're going, what in the world is she talking about? We're going to do a prayer exercise together as we close today. And for some of you, you're going to go, wow, I love this. And others of you are going to go, not ever done that before, not really sure what to do with it. And you know what? That's okay. Just sit with it. It's okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the prayer from Ephesians 3, which is the the prayer, the classic prayer about how much God loves us. And I'm going to pray that. Uh, for you. And as I pray, and it will be up on the screen, we're going to take some time and some pauses to go through it slowly. And I'm going to invite you to imagine your mind as a blank canvas. Moving into creativity, there are lots of ways to do that. And one of those is through our imagination, opening our mind to what are some of the pictures or um, images that come to mind as we consider this truth. So I'm going to invite you to imagine your mind as a blank canvas, and as I read and pray this scripture over you, to allow God to give you a word or a phrase that resonates and sinks in with your heart, and allow him to draw a picture on that canvas. Some of you might even want to grab the paper in front of you and do a little drawing, an ish drawing, if you will. You don't have to, but to take some time to allow visually your mind to picture what we're reading about in the prayer. Father God, your resources are glorious and unlimited. Empower us with inner strength through your spirit. Christ, you make your home in our hearts. May we trust in you And may our roots grow down into your love and keep us strong. 
Give us the power to understand how wide, long, high, and deep your love is, though it is too great to understand. We ask to experience the love of Christ. We look to you to make us complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God.